Amen. Amen. Have a seat. And good morning. Good morning. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor over at Bayou City Tomball, and it is an absolute joy to be here at Cyprus this morning. Um, I attended Cyprus even before I was on staff to come to see what God was doing in this mix. Uh, this mit- in the midst of this amazing community, and I had never thought there would be a day when I would actually stand here and, and be able to speak with you. Um, gosh, several years ago, and so it is an absolute honor to be with you here this morning. A little bit about me, in case you don't know me. Um, I have a, an amazing wife, Hillary, who's a veterinarian, and I have four amazing kids. I have an 11-year-old daughter, or she's turning 11 on May 4th. I have a nine-year-old son, uh, Micah, and I have a uh, seven-year-old son, Jesse, and a five-year-old daughter, Juliet. And so life is simple, not complex at all uh, with those four kids. Um, uh, they, they, uh, yeah, they're absolutely amazing. So it is a joy, a joy to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, we're going to be continuing our study in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 28, looking at the last portion of this series of missions, looking at teaching what it looks like to, to be making disciples and particularly teaching to make disciples. So let me read the text for us. Uh, if you haven't memorized it yet, uh, come on, by the end of this series, we're in one text. We should be able to memorize it together and, uh, and then we'll talk about teaching from the word of God. It says this, Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the focus of our text, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have given us the call to make disciples of all nations. And thank you, Jesus, that you are pulling people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to yourself. You are drawing them to yourself. And Lord, thank you that you've given us the call to make disciples, to make disciples of all nations, that there's no group of people separate from you that you don't want to draw to you. And so Lord, I pray that as we open up your word this morning, you would open up our hearts so we would be people that take seriously the call to make disciples of all nations. And I know many of us are at different spots within our journey of of disciple making. Some of us don't know you yet, Jesus. So I pray that, that we might be awakened this morning to know you. Some of us have been walking with you for a short period of time, Jesus. So Lord, I pray that we would lean deeper into discipleship. And others of us, we've been a disciple for a long time, Jesus, but we maybe not have gotten into the game. So Lord, I pray that through this morning's message, for those folks that are tentative, they might gain the courage to jump in. Lord, make us into the people you need us to be so that we can do the things you're calling us to do. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's a story I may have shared before, but I'm sorry about that if you've heard it, but it makes a great point. Uh, when I was in college, uh, I spent one summer in Boulder, Colorado with some buddies of mine that were all uh, track athletes. And so we, we spent a time in, uh, in Boulder, Colorado, and we rented a house from some folks in Boulder. And, and what's funny in college is that you, you don't plan a lot ahead. 
um, you know, we're 20 years old and we're like, we're gonna live in Boulder. It's gonna be amazing. And so we rent this house from these other college students that had all moved out. And so there's not a bit of furniture in the entire house. And I get there and I got a sleeping bag, uh, a bag of clothes, and that's about it. And I go there and I lay down for the first night. It, it's late. I get there the first night and uh, we have to leave all the windows open because there's no air conditioning in this house in downtown Boulder, Colorado. And you're like, it's Colorado. Isn't it cool? Not at this point in the summer. And so you're just sweating all day and I'm laying there on, on the kind of bed or my sleeping bag at night because there's no beds. And, and uh, all of a sudden I hear this siren go by, like, woo, 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 And I'm like, that was weird. And then hearing it again, woo, and you can't close the windows because, no, yeah, it's hot. And, and I hear it again, hear it again. And finally, there's a guy sleeping right next to me and I just hit him. I'm like, I go, does that happen all night? He goes, yeah, yeah, you'll get used to it. I'm like, where did I land? And the next morning, I'm, I wake up a little bit woozy and my buddies go, okay, we're gonna go today cliff jumping. And I'm like, okay, where is this? Is this safe? Where should we go? We go, no, don't worry about it. Hey, let's hop into your car because you still have a full tank of gas and money from your parents. So we're gonna hop into your car and we're gonna drive up the side of this mountain over to this place where we're gonna go cliff jumping. And so we get to this spot and, and as we get to the edge of this cliff, immediately there's a sign there. I'm not recommending this. I'm just telling you what I did, okay? Um, there's a sign that says no jumping. And, uh, and I'm like, oh, okay, let's, let's do this. And I look over to the, to the guys and I'm like, okay, yeah, this is where we should go cliff jumping. And I'm like, but there's a sign. Have you done this before? And they're like, oh yeah, it's great. It's great. It's fine. And, uh, and we're all standing there at the edge, a group of 20 year olds looking down at this precipice going, who's going to go first? Like who's the first lemming off the cliff? Like who, who's going to go first? And we're all standing there kind of debating kind of, kind of machismo against one another. Like who's going to go first? And suddenly one dude, I kid you not, runs past, jumps off and does a gainer. What's because when you jump off and you dive in backwards. And so he jumps off and starts falling to, to you know, what we think is his death. And so we got, get to the edge and we're like, okay, are we gonna have to go down there? And start watching him go, go, go. And he goes into the water and he's down there like an excessively long time. And we're just going, did we just lose someone? Who has a cell phone? All right, well, we're watching him and then suddenly he pops out from the water and he's fine. He's like, it's amazing. And and at that moment, something happened in every one of us. We realized, okay, this won't kill me. And it gave us a new courage. Like it gave us a new energy to say, hey, we can do this too. If that idiot can do it, even I can do it too. Like we can do this thing together. And it gave us courage and excitement. And what was terrifying at first, all of a sudden became exhilarating. It became exciting. We wanna be part of this experience. And the reason I start there is for this simple reason. We've been talking about disciple making and making disciples can be a terrifying experience to jump in. It can be intimidating. There's all sorts of things that push against us as to why we should not make a disciple. But let me tell you this, G.K. Chesterton has an amazing quote about Christianity. He says this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and so left untried. See, the Christian life is never meant to be easy. It's meant to call something deep within you, something at the deepest heart of you, an adventure to join, some excitement to jump into. It's, it's there to call your heart to something greater than what you have been a part of. And the Christian faith started, it started with a few men that were not all that intelligent, not all that magnificent, a group of people that were changed by Jesus Christ. 
And that group of of men and women that were changed by Jesus Christ moved to change the world. If you ever heard of a tsunami, I didn't, I studied this. I didn't know what created tsunamis, but it's a volcanic eruption in the ocean's floor. And that volcanic eruption deep in the ocean floor, something we can't even see, creates waves that go all the way to shore, creating a a tidal wave or tsunami, a large wave that hits shore and it rushes over the shore. It's that, that deep change here has a dramatic impact out there. That's what happened with the disciples of Jesus Christ. In this small region of the world, the nation of Israel, a few people were dramatically changed by Jesus Christ and the world has not recovered from the impact of these changed lives. The reason we're here in 2021 in Cyprus, Texas, is because a few people in this small little region were radically transformed by Jesus Christ. And those few people that were radically transformed moved out like a tsunami to hit us today. It's why we're here. And we've been looking at the Great Commission. Jesus' last call to his disciples said, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples. As we've looked at that text, there is one imperative, one verb, one command in that section. And that's to make disciples. And as part of that, part of making disciples, there's going baptizing, and the third part we're looking at today is is this, teaching. In order to make disciples, there's parts of this. In order for that wave to continue, there's parts that we need to be part of, and it's going. That means that we get out of our comfort zone to go into the lives of people and invest in them. It's baptizing. It's, It's conforming to a new identity, a public statement of an inward change. Like a baptism moment is I'm, I'm publicly stating I am, I'm new in Christ. I'm his, I'm not my own. And teaching, teaching is the lifelong process of transforming to look more and more like Jesus Christ. In order to make more disciples, it means we have to teach how to make disciples. And so there's, there's really a three implications and one promise I wanna give you this morning. Three implications to teaching and one promise. The first implication is this, the disciples are lifelong learners. Secondly, that teaching should be transforming. And thirdly, that teaching is every disciple's responsibility. Those are the three implications and the, the promise is this, Jesus says at the end of this, Jesus will be with us. So three implications and one promise. Let's begin with the first implication, that disciples are lifelong learners. Matthew 28, verse 20 says this, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded to you. And that's, that's really our word for this morning, teaching them, teaching people. And what you see is that, that teaching, if you look at the definition, that Greek word um, didasko could mean, uh, it denotes teaching activity, especially moral instruction. It means to communicate truth, the truth of God to people. And teaching is what marked the ministry of Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm going to run through a bunch of verses for this. You can go look them up later on. Um, Matthew 4, 23, Jesus going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Matthew 7, 29, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not one of their scribes. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and and sickness. Matthew 13, 54, 
And he came to his hometown and began teaching in their synagogues. And they were astonished, saying, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Matthew 21, 23. And he entered their temple, and the chief priests and elders came to him and said, came to him while he was teaching. They said, by what authority are you doing these things? And here's what you see as you just look at those texts in rapid fire. What marked Jesus' ministry was teaching the word of God. He went into communities and he began communicating a different way of living, a different way of interacting with God. He began teaching people and the people that caught his teaching became his disciples. So discipleship requires a commitment to learning from Jesus. To be a disciple means that I have to soak in the words, words of God. I need to be one that draws close to the words of Jesus Christ. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Jesus says, look, take my yoke. It, it, it's, it's an imagery of, of like an oxen and, and, and teaching and in many ways was like taking a yoke. And he says, the reason you take my yoke is because my yoke is easy and my burden is light, but I want you to come and be a learner under me. A disciple, first of all, is this, a learner. And every disciple should be a lifelong learner. And the people that have made the biggest impact in this world are ones that commit themselves to learning from Jesus Christ, learning from the scriptures. You see this in the life of Paul. So Paul, the amazing apostle that went all over the Mediterranean region preaching the gospel, at the end of his life, he's in prison. And he's in prison and he's writing letters to people to try to help them to continue ministry. And one of those letters he writes is in 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy, he writes to young Timothy, his young protege, his young disciple. And he begins writing this letter. At the tail end of the letter, he says this in 2 Timothy 4.13. When you come to me, bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Now, wait a minute. Paul is about to die. He's in prison. By all accounts, this is his last letter. He knows that he has finished his course. He has run his race. He knows that death is at his doorstep. And what does he ask young Timothy to bring him? A cloak to keep his body warm. Books and parchments. Books were, um, were likely just literature of the day to keep learning. Parchments were likely the Old Testament scriptures. Parchments were made on... Um, on animal skins, and so they would be preserved longer. And so he asked Timothy at his dying day, give me the books and the parchments. And we actually have a more modern, not too modern, but a, a, a corollary to this in William Tyndale. William Tyndale was uh, one of the first people to translate the New Testament into English. And he was imprisoned for doing so. He was imprisoned um, in a castle near Brussels wait, awaiting execution. And in a letter to one of his disciples, he writes to the governor begging for warmer clothes, a woolen shirt, and above all, his Hebrew Bible, grammar, and dictionary. Now, if you're awaiting your death, what, are you waiting for? what would you ask for? Would you say, give me some Hebrew grammar? Probably not. But maybe you should. You see, the people that made the biggest impact on the world are people that are steeped in the word of God. They're constantly learning all throughout their life and they're learning for a purpose. They're learning to continue to communicate. You see, disciples are learners, but it, they're learners that communicate the word of God. And that's what's given to, to the disciples. 
Timothy says to, or Paul says to young Timothy, when you go to this church, I want you to be strengthened in the grace and I want you to entrust the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see four generations that Paul gives Timothy. The things you've heard from me, Timothy, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see, Paul to Timothy to faithful men who will teach others. There's an expectation in disciple making that what we learn doesn't stay with us, that it goes through us. So we're learning to teach. We're learning to communicate. And it's not just men, it's women too. In Titus, Paul writes to Titus, he says, older women likewise are, are to teach what is good to younger women. He calls women to, to, to teach, to communicate specifically to younger women. You have a responsibility in this process to be a learner who communicates. Both men and women have the responsibility to be lifelong learners. We need to be steeped in the scriptures to know biblical content, but not only to just know the information. There's a second piece that Jesus gives us in this section to be transformed by that content. He says, teach them to observe, Matthew 28 to 20, all that I've commanded you. That word observe is tyreo. It means to keep on, to continue in, to guard, obey, or observe. It means when, when we begin learning what Jesus is teaching us, it means it shouldn't stop with just mental understanding it should have an impact. It should transform us. D.L. Moody says this, the Bible was not given for our information, but our transformation. See, the reason you have this scripture in your hand and in front of you isn't to give you Bible trivia. It's not to know the nuances and to be able to show off for your friends. Like, do you know who Melchizedek was? Let me tell you. You know, it's, it's not that. It's so that you would read these words and it would have a deep impact on your heart. Paul says in Romans 12, one through two, I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you by testing will be able to discern the will of God, his good, what is good, acceptable and perfect. He said, what should happen is that you spend, as you spend time with Jesus, it affects your heart. As you spend time with the Lord, there's a transformation that occurs within you. It means that we obey. And obedience means this. I conform my life to the scripture. I don't conform the scripture to my life. It means if I see where I'm going astray, that means I shift what I'm doing to be in line with what God would have me do. It requires transformation. And I think for, for some of us, the reason we haven't taken that step from information to transformation is because for some of us, we have no intent of doing anything with what we learn. So I, I remember in college, uh, there'd be uh, football athletes that would be in some of the classes with us. And those football athletes would get a gigantic binder of plays. I mean, just a huge amount of plays um, each week. 
that all of the other coaches would give them. And so if they were a quarterback in particular, they had this mountain of plays to learn. And so I remember a friend of mine telling a story about um, the, seeing this one football player in class and, and class was just boring. And so, so they were just kind of, he was kind of messing around just, and then he sees this one football player, like just like intensely looking at this thing. And he's like, oh my gosh, he's really into this class. And he looks over and he goes, what are you studying? And he's like, ah, these are the plays for the next game which he probably shouldn't be doing, but whatever. He's looking at plays. And all of a sudden, this clued into him. He goes, he goes, there is a focus and intensity with which this guy is studying. Why? Because his life depends on it. Because if you're playing D1 football and you're supposed to roll left, but you roll right, all of a sudden there's gonna be a linebacker there that says, happy to meet you, boom, crash, right? Like You know that you're gonna have broken ribs if you miss the play. And so there is a focus and intensity because he expects to be in the game. He expects to be in the field and and knowing this information will be crucially impactful on his life and his rib cage, right? And so he wants to make sure that he knows this information and applies it into his action. And let me tell you this, for many of us, We have studied the Bible. We have heard phenomenal sermons from Johnny for weeks and months and years, and we've heard great, great things, but some of us haven't taken the the step to really obey because if we're honest, we have no intent to use it. And this is why disciple-making is so important because when you're in the game of disciple-making, you study differently. I can't tell you how many times I've studied intently, not because I genuinely wanted to learn. There's some of you who are just learners. You're like, give me more content, I just want to learn. But others of us are more action-oriented. And when someone asks you a tough question, you go research and you go study and you're like, I got an answer for you. Disciple-making means this. You are in the process of studying and learning so that you can be in the game. For some of you, it's gonna be questions from your kids. I remember my daughter, when she was about seven years old, she goes, Daddy, how is the Bible real? She's seven, okay? How is the Bible real and science um, like this? Like, how do they correlate? What about the dinosaurs? So she starts asking me scientific questions, and I'm like, I'm a pastor. I should have a good answer for that. And I'm like, let me go study so I have a better answer for you. For some of you, it's gonna be at work. Like there's, there's someone that says, oh, Christians are all this or, 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 or evangelicals are all this or I can't believe those Baptist people. I can't believe, and you're like, okay, those are all stuff. And, and, and you're gonna go, okay, how do I give a good answer to a tough question? God, why do bad things seem to always happen to good people? And those questions all arise. And, and, and instead of just saying, I don't really know, for you to be equipped to say, you know, I can step into a tough moment and I'm transformed by the words of Jesus Christ so I can communicate the words of Christ to people and their tough questions. See, disciple-making means I'm a lifelong learner and that learning is having an impact because I wanna be on the game and I wanna make a difference. And third implication is this. Teaching is the responsibility of every disciple. Now, this point... I think many of you may be pushing against. And there's three objections I want to address in this point. Let me first say this. Jesus is speaking this word to these disciples so that they'll make disciples. And we wouldn't be here 
if these people didn't take this seriously. You understand that? Teaching the word of God to people is the responsibility of every believer. And there's three objections I wanna, I wanna put out there. The first objection is this. I'm not qualified to teach. And that's a lack of maturity. So you say, man, I'm not good enough. I'm not mature enough to answer all of these tough questions. I, I have a lack of maturity. I'm not qualified. I don't know enough. And I would just tell you this. There are three opportunities I want to give to you that push you past that objection. The first is this. Get in our community groups. Our community groups are studying the word of God. And, and if, you, if you get in those moments and you, and you learn what it looks like to communicate the word of God and to love on people from your leaders in those community groups, you will be, grow to become a better, better disciple maker. Jump in our women's ministry. Those women are there to help you grow as a follower and a disciple of Christ. You'll be better equipped to go lead or join our men's ministry. We'll have a men's ministry event. We'll have an announcement here in, in a little bit. Jump in grow, mature as a disciple maker. Be there on purpose. Be there on purpose. Secondly, this, the objection. I've never been discipled. So it's not a lack of maturity, it's a lack of experience. For some of you, you, you you've gone to church your whole life, but you've never actually had someone invest into your life. You, you've been, and you may be in your 70s, and you're like, no one has ever discipled me. And I would just say this, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. If you want to be discipled, then it is your responsibility to reach out, raise your hand and say, Pastor Johnny, whoever, can you help me get connected so that I can grow in my faith? Don't be passive. Own it. I want to be discipled and we will get around you and we will help. That is our commitment to you as your church body, okay? I just made Johnny, I gave him some more work. It'll be great. Those emails, Johnny Marks at bodycityfellowship.com. It'll be great. The third one is this, third objection. Well, Kevin, I don't have the gift of teaching, so it's a lack of ability. I don't have the gift of teaching. Now, there are specific people with specific spiritual gifts, and they will operate at a higher level. And so your, gift, your call to teach may never put you on a stage. It may never do that, and that's great. But if someone says, I don't have the gift of helps, we would say to them, well, then don't help anyone, all right? Like, you just put that on pause. If someone has a need, you're like, you know what? Not my gift mix, so I don't help. What would we tell that person? Sometimes you gotta get over yourself. And that's a chair that needs to go from there to there, so just pick it up. We would say, like, even though it's not your primary gifting, you can be helpful. And for those of us that we don't have the gift of teaching, we don't have the gift of, of communicating in a great way, I would just say there are things that you do have that you can use to teach. Um, one of the most impactful people in my life uh, was my uncle Jim in, from Colorado. And he was at his church, he loved the Lord, but he didn't have the gift of teaching. But he loved to read good books and listen to good sermons. And so I remember as a, as a young man in my 20s, I would go spend time with them in Colorado, and then he would say, you know what, I, I don't communicate all that well. He was, a, he was a man of very few words, but he says, I can read something, and if that's good, I go buy a bunch of copies of that book and I pass them out. And as a young believer starting to grow in my faith, he didn't teach me a whole lot from his words. He just loaded me with, back in the day, sermon tapes 
and books. And he's like, you'll need these, you know? And just, and just blessed me with these gifts so that I could learn. And he said, and then I would have these walks with him and I would, and I would just talk about stuff that was going on in my life, in my heart, where God was leading me. And, and he would just listen and listen. And then he would have like one word statements, like one word statements. I'd be like, man, I think God's calling me into ministry. I don't know. And, he, and we're hiking down the side of the mountain. He just stops. He looks back at me. He goes, I think there's something to that. And he kept on walking. <laughs> and that, those few words, I was like, this is it. Like, this is my direction. Those few words were so transformative. You have no idea the impact your few words to say, you know what? I'm gonna take my responsibility to teach what I can, use what I have to help people grow. You don't have to give a sermon. You don't have to leave a Bible study, but you do have a responsibility to play your part to teach what you can. One of the greatest preachers our world has ever seen is a man named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He taught in London in the 1800s. He was a powerful communicator. Uh, he led um, a, a church in London that grew to like 10,000 people and people would come from all over the place to hear this man preach. And what's fascinating is, is his conversion. He was a young man about 15 years old and he's walking to church, but it was in the middle of a snowstorm, like, like in you know, the Houston area in, in 2021, right? A snowstorm hit and he, he veers off to the side and goes to what he calls a primitive Methodist church. And the snow was so thick that the, the pastor couldn't even show up that day. And most people didn't want to show up either. There's only 12 or 15 people in the room. And so there was a young man, he was either, he says this, he was either a, a tailor or a carpenter, not trained. And he stands up and he was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason he had nothing else to say. The text was this, look unto me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. And he didn't even pronounce every single word right, but that didn't matter. He went and he says, he, he looked and he says, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look, doesn't take much effort to look. You ain't got to lift a finger to look. What does it mean to look? Well, man, go look and learn. And you may be the biggest fool and you can look. A man not be worth a thousand years to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. Then it says, look unto me. I says, many of you are looking unto yourselves. No use looking there. You'll never find comfort for yourselves. Then the good man followed his text all the way. It says, look unto me. Look unto Christ. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto Christ. I'm hanging on the cross. Look unto him, he's dead and buried. Look unto me, I rise again. Look unto me, I ascend. Look unto me, I'm sitting at the right hand of God. Oh, look at me. And he had gone through about 10 minutes in length. And so there was such a small group in the room, he recognized that Charles was a new guy there. And he says, young man, you look very miserable. <laughs> well, I did, but I was not used to uh, uh, people remarking on my appearance in this moment. And he continued, and you will always be miserable in life and miserable in death unless you obey this text. But if you obey me now in this moment, you will be saved. And he shouted as only a primitive Methodist can, young man, look unto Christ. And at that moment, Spurgeon was saved. And thousands of people have been impacted by this 
poor tailor or carpenter that said, you know what? I'm not gifted for this. I'm not qualified for this. I've got one verse. and I'm going to preach the crud out of it so that people might be saved. And you know what? There was a young man that day who was. So every believer, every disciple of Christ has a responsibility to teach at the level that they can in the gifting that God has given you. And we have one promise from Christ. He says, every disciple's a learner. You gotta learn. Teaching is to transform your heart to look more like Christ. Every disciple has a responsibility to do what we can with what we have to teach the next generation. And there's a promise from Jesus that holds us true. He says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He says, look. He uses the word behold, which is like a shout. It's like, listen up. It's like he just called timeout in the middle of the game and the coach is gathering all the players. says, hey, look at me. Look, listen. He says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There is never a moment in disciple making when it's on you. Every interaction you have with every person you are walking with in life, Jesus is right there alongside you. He says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There'll never be a moment when you're doing this on your own. And let me tell you what, there's something powerful about knowing the presence of Jesus Christ, knowing the encouragement of Jesus Christ, knowing the, the, the cheering of Jesus Christ alongside you as you are trying to be faithful with what you have and what he's given you to be faithful with. When I was in high school, um, my freshman year of high school, I ran cross country. Um, always uh, been low on the weight scale, and so running was a good fit for me. And, uh, and so I was running cross country, and I was a freshman in high school, and I started out not very good, but I thought I was good. The first run was a four-mile run. It was an out and back, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go out there, and there's some like upperclassmen that just take off running, and it feels like they're sprinting, and I'm like, I will stay up with them, and we get to the two-mile mark, and I'm like, oh, was that four miles? And they look at me like I'm stupid. They're just like, no, buddy, you got two miles back. I'm like, oh, no, and, and, and I'm standing there just like feeling totally defeated, and there was a senior there. He says, hey, freshman, come follow me. And I get behind Vaughn Anderson and I just start running behind Vaughn Anderson as best I can. And we get to about a, a mile left and I'm like, Vaughn, you gotta go, I'm, I'm exhausted. And I, I just muddle my way back. And then for the next several months, I just ran with the girls um, and because that was, <laughs> that was what I needed to do. And um, not the best girls, they were, just, anyway, so we, we just ran. And, and we, we neared the season, as the season was going, like I was getting better and better and better each week. And Vaughn basically just took me under his wing. So we'd go to the meet, and I remember one meet, I forgot my socks. Like, how do you show up without socks at a meet? Did it. And, and, and he, goes, he goes, buddy, freshman, here's a pair of socks. And we would go around the course, like we would run the course beforehand, and I would just sit like in tow with Vaughn, and he would just give me, sprinkle all this wisdom to me. And as the season went on, I was doing better and better, and, 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 and eventually I got to the point where I had made um, the, the varsity team. Now, in doing so, that knocked Vaughn in his senior year off the team. And we run the district race, and then we run the regional race. 
And I remember riding the bus out to the regional meet, just wondering, how's, it, how's this going to go? And we get off the bus, and Vaughn's right there. He goes, freshman, let's go run the course. Whew, not supposed to cry. And he started jogging the course with me. And it had been rainy, so there's some muddy parts. He's like, hey, there's some mud there. You've got to watch out for that. Hey, freshman, you've got you to go over here. Here's where you've got to run. And he's, he's beside me at every moment pre-race. And we stretch together. And I get to the line, and Vaughn, <laughs> he's at the start. He's like, okay, this is it. You've got to do it. And he goes up to the side, and, and, and the gun blows, and we start the race. And now, at cross-country races, like, no one's there. There's like five of us and five parents. Like there's no one there. But Vaughn's there. And at the start of the race, he's there. And there's parts of the race where no one goes. Like you're out in the middle of nowhere, like cows and like nothing. You know, it's like West Tech. There's nothing out there. Just windmill. I, we're there. And, and, and we get to a curve. And all of a sudden, we come around the curve. And at parts of the race, you just feel exhausted and beat down. Like you don't want to keep going. And, and Vaughn's there around the curve. I'm like, how did you even get here? And, and he's like, come on, freshman. And he's cheering me on. I'm like, okay, okay. And I keep on going. And at every point in the race, when I wanted to give up, who was there? This senior that didn't get to run this race because it wasn't his race to run. It was my race. See, the Bible talks about the Christian life as a marathon. In Hebrews, it says that Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And then he calls us to run our race. And there's never a moment in running your race where Jesus is going to be like, oh, you're going to figure it out now. He's right there to cheer you on. He's right there to champion you to say, yes, run. Yes, go. I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I have no idea what to do with these kids or that disciple or this marriage. I know you have no idea, but I'm right here with you. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And you know the beautiful part about disciple making is that he gives you the joy of doing that for others. He'll never leave you. And he calls us to be men and women that stand beside them, teaching them to obey everything he commanded you and I'll be with you, and I'll be with them till the end of the age. So I want to give you three questions in closing. The first is this. Learn. Commit to learn from God. Secondly, obey. Commit to take these truths and drop them deep into your heart. Thirdly, own the responsibility alongside us to make disciples of all nations and experience the presence of Jesus as he is cheering you every step along the way. We have an opportunity now to respond in prayer. I know many of us here are in totally different places. We're in totally different places in our own discipleship journey. We're in totally different places in our own disciple-making journey. But our prayer team is here. They're going to be up here in our closing song. And they want to pray alongside you. Some of you, you have never 
put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Now is the time to look unto Christ, to come, look at him. His arms are wide open for you to come, receive full forgiveness and come to the family of God. For, second, for others of you, there's, there's something that's, that's on your heart and mind. Maybe there's a sick loved one. Maybe there's a struggle you're facing. Or maybe there's someone you're trying to disciple to pour your life into and you want help, you want prayer alongside of you and we wanna pray for you. So come, if there's anything, any, anything that you have um, that you want prayer for, we wanna pray alongside you for that. And lastly, if there's any challenge that you have that you think you're on your own to hold, let me tell you, you're not. Jesus is right there with you, and so are we as his people. So come, let's pray with you. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us an amazing command, an impossible command for us. Thank you that you call us to do things that are bigger than we could ever imagine. And Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you don't send us out without your presence. And so Lord, I lift up each person here that you would help us to grow to be better disciples of Jesus Christ and better disciple makers of Jesus Christ. Spirit, move in this place. Make our hearts alive and make us yours. It's in your name we pray, amen.